probably seven years of development ahead of us. But um, I'm sure we'll get into this during the, the podcast here. But our approach is very much iterative, modular, and regular releases. So every year, um, there's one or two major release um, uh, candidates in that. And we enhance the gameplay. We introduce new gameplay mechanics. And it builds upon itself. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I can imagine that the technological. Well, it's been. Um, when did you guys launch? Was it was it late twenty twenty one, December? It was. It's actually we're coming up on our two year anniversary. Our debut to the world, which was a medium post announcing the vision and releasing the white paper with links to our uh, website, was on January fourteenth of two thousand and twenty one. So we're just coming up on two years. Fair enough. Uh, see how time flies. I'm wondering on, because um, obviously every, everyone knows you guys as a flagship of uh, Solana um, as a blockchain and, and metaverse. W- where did you get into um, and come across Solana originally? Because they were just coming up to their all-time high when um, when I sort of uh, first heard of you guys. I'm wondering on, because obviously, you know, the amount of uh, work that goes in for getting to that stage how did um, that experience happen? How did you decide chain? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, it's almost embarrassing at this point. But the uh, I was on a bike ride and I heard SBF on a podcast talking about Project Serum um, and you know the his rationale for being supportive of the Solana ecosystem, and that's where I first came across it. And we were at the time um, this was in 2020, and and we started to conceptualize Star Atlas in. Um, probably May or June of 2020. Uh, that's when we were putting together the game development docs and we were um, uh, structuring out the white paper. Um, and we were analyzing various layer ones that we could operate on. And and again, I think it's worth emphasizing the extent to which we integrate blockchain architecture throughout our game experience. Um, and I, I talk about this a lot, but you know, this idea of GameFi or blockchain gaming or Web3 gaming um, to me, has at least three distinct um, categories of development methodologies. One of those being, you know, the simple integration of NFTs. I say simple. It is. Um, I think it's progress, and it's certainly beneficial for players, for users to experience that true asset ownership and have the transactability of the assets that they own, the in-game assets that they own. Um, but the game development perspective or side of that is really just building a game as you traditionally would in engine and then linking in the assets. <clears throat> the next progression from that though is is the integration of a crypto native economy. So using a cryptocurrency or a token for the in-game currency, which we do uh, with Atlas, and then um, you know slightly more sophisticated is adding the uh, governance sh- structure around this. So using a governance token as well, but. In our case, we, we really leverage the blockchain to, to its fullest potential by taking game logic out of the engine, building that uh, via on-chain programs on Solana or otherwise smart contracts, and enabling Solana itself to serve as uh, our backend game server to the fullest extent possible. And this is really challenging to do. This is really complicated. It's never been done before. But the potential here and the upside is that it enables this uh, opportunity for third-party development permissionlessly um, within your ecosystem. So Star Atlas, as much as we have these gaming products, it's very much a platform and an ecosystem as well. And I often <clears throat> analogize it to the way that layer one protocols operate at right? Solana or Ethereum. Well, they've developed out these uh 
distributed decentralized computer systems, uh, um, state machines, right? And uh, their purpose is to build out infrastructure and tooling that other developers can then leverage to build applications, build services, build their own products on top of. And so that's a long way of saying uh, with the way that we're developing our platform and our infrastructure <clears throat> and the primitives that we're delivering to Solana, we enable a world of creators, of studios, of other developers to start to integrate their services directly into the Star Atlas environment and the Star Atlas economy. Yeah, that's one aspect, the uh, deep space travel and the uh, where Polis will really come into its own on the individual uh, sort of governance uh, side and building out your own community within a wider community. Uh, it's always the aspect that I'm most excited for when you imagine the metaverse in the future and you imagine uh, all of the possibilities that it will uh, bring. I always imagine, um, I think uh, there's a book that I... Uh, that I love and recommend to uh, everyone um, called The Sovereign Individual. Mm -hmm. uh, and it talks about the trans like transformation from the uh, industrial age to the technological age. Mm -hmm. And it talks about how uh, like violence is, is, uh, is going to just go away. Physical violence, you know, like wars, uh, you know, people blowing each other up uh, and that it's all going to get replaced by like communities, fighting communities, all online. Um, and I can see it happening because it's just so easy to, to do everything online. It's like the uh, age-old concept of um, people who don't understand NFTs, and it's just the progression of art, the digitalization of art, the same people who thought that newspapers couldn't possibly be on a screen um, 30 years ago are the same people who right now are saying uh, the exact same thing, but it's the progression again, Bitcoin, um, money, uh, just, you know, getting rid of paper, hopefully not CBDCs, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, any sort of move across to that technology. And that's what I'm really excited for is when you can have, um, you know, like on chain or online, uh, you know, nations. There's a, a, another book uh, by that guy Vitalik loves, begins with a B, um, like bad, so I don't, I, I don't, but it was, it's about like um, blockchain nations. Okay. If someone, uh, if someone can uh, think of the name that I'm miss, missing, do post it into, uh, into the comments, but that's what I'm really excited for, where like groups and individuals can fully um, just segment themselves away and in their own world. Uh, that's what I really think the metaverse is, is missing where you can have those portals to individual, like almost nations and cultures. I, uh, uh, so the sovereign individual is one of my top recommended books for everyone to read. This was written, I think in the eighties, the original, um, mm. uh, authorship was in the eighties. It might've been the nineties, but, uh, pretty incredible how predictive it, it, uh, was speaking through this transition into the information age, which is, you know, what you were describing, um, and 
the I, I think the core premise in my mind is the idea that governments essentially have a monopoly over society through military power, right? They're able to enforce things like taxation, and we don't have an option in paying taxes or not. We have an option of either leaving that geography or staying there because we have some other social benefits. Our families there tends to be relatively sticky wherever you're born. Um, you, most people tend to spend their lives there, but we're evolving into this age where um, and, and Automata, the studio, our studio, is a great example of the ability for people to freely operate, work, and contribute labor from anywhere in the world. Right? We have over 200 people on our team. We operate across 25 countries. We don't care where you live. We don't care where you work from. We think in terms of productivity. Right? We don't think in terms of clocking in and clocking out. And um, it just expands people's opportunity set to be able to freely travel, freely roam, and identify a region that they want to exist in because the benefits there are superior to wherever they lived previously. And mm -hmm. the, what this ultimately is going to lead to, and this to some extent translates into the opportunities in the metaverse, but what this is going to lead to is people seeking out opportunistic domicile wherever the benefits are the greatest for them. That might mean lower taxation, safer area, more friends, or they just want to freely travel around better the world. Weather. Yeah, better weather. That's a great example, <laughs> right? And, and, it's, and it's okay for them to um, reside anywhere because oper digital opportunities will exist. Now that exists with remote companies like ours, but I also genuinely believe that this idea of the interconnected interoperable metaverse will provide similar labor opportunities, whether that's through gaming or some other form of digital society. So I think the, the potential benefits here are massive and we're starting to see competitive nation states, which is kind of an interesting evolution. Mm. That's the part that um, seems very freeing of uh, the metaverse. I think that the, I mean, it's like every single, uh, I mean, you guys probably felt uh, the same um, after Facebook rebranded. It causes the inevitable. Crypto is always seasonal anyway. You know, it was uh, layer ones, then it was uh, well, DeFi summer, layer ones, gaming, and then Facebook rebranded metaverse. And I'll, inevitably, we, I mean, um, uh, we at Ben, and I'm sure you guys as well, uh, you know, benefited from that. You know, it's great to get the attention onto the metaverse, but inevitably, it means that it sort of pushes everyone uh, and everyone starts running before they've walked. And an influx comes into the market of like just um, rebrand, just uh, or hype chasers or, or cash chasers because VCs are suddenly paying attention. You know, people are uh -huh. grabbing the money. And then it gives VCs a bad taste because inevitably it's not their fault when they lose money. Um, it's always uh, it's always the sector <laughs> uh, rather than them just FOMOing in like retail. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, inevitably when you do have that seasonality, it means that, you know, it's a good thing, really, but it still hurts when, like, um, you know, the higher you get, the, the further you can fall. Um, and, yeah, metaverse and gaming in particular um, has been hit hard in this current bear market. But that's just, yeah, you get the bad examples of tokenomics like Axie that uh, sort of dig it in and then people apply that. But it's needed, you know, flush out, um, you know, the garbage and, uh, you know, let the, the real players build and then develop. And as soon as, you know, the sensible protocols who uh, are building and are delivering on, you know, the roadmaps that they presented and, and the funding they got. Um, as soon as they start producing the actual quality, then, you know, right back there. Uh, I always say, you know, uh, play to, well, play a play and earn or an NFT 
based like Call of Duty first first person shooter, Fortnite, um, or uh, you know uh, FIFA Pro Evo, um, will just when the gaming studios, the traditional ones, uh, finally get market share hurt, then they will all rush in. And it'll probably cause the inevitable same thing again. But hopefully by that point they'll start investing and uh, going in a lot um, a lot more too. I, well, I completely agree with you. First of all, I um, a couple things here. I mean, you kind of touched on this um, play to earn concept or play and earn concept. I, I actually want to get in a little discussion around that because there's a, a lot of uh, commentary out there that play to earn is dead, and I I just wholeheartedly disagree with that concept. I I do think that the uh, premise of playing specifically as a mechanism for earning is dead, but I don't think anybody entering into this space as a creator, as a developer, um, envisioned creating a product that was just a more complicated and more time-consuming DeFi. It was never the purpose. Like the purpose is to create fun experiences, <clears throat> fun experiences, but through that activate legitimate uh, economies as well, and that's where the earnings component comes in. But uh, I think we're seeing some mainstream studios start to dip their toes in the water in Web3. We've had conversations with many of them about potential integrations and where their interest lies. And I think uh, fundamentally they're, they're uh, researching right now uh, the potential of the technology. I don't know if you can hear the fire alarm going off, so apologies for that. But... Well, it doesn't matter. Hopefully, it's just a test. <laughs> we're gonna run. We're, we're gonna run. We'll run. The, we'll run the, we'll run the show anyway. If it starts to get hot in here, I'll let you know. But um, uh, you know, they're they're starting to dip their toes in the water. And Solana, we're we continue to be huge advocates for that uh, for that protocol. And uh, we're working with a Solana Foundation and their games team specifically. And I I can. Uh, without sharing any detail, can just um, assure people that there are a lot of studios that are interested in building on blockchain. They're interested in Solana specifically, and um, the the potential is huge here. So we're still at the the front end of this wave. Yeah, the Solana community. I mean, I was uh, I always used to wind my my team um, are Solana maxis. Uh, so we've uh, they were attending like the hacker houses before. The problem was I paid for way too many. Um, Solana hacker houses, and then they all came back Solana maxis, and then I didn't go to any because I was just uh, yeah at home doing this and um, yeah developing and uh, yeah managing everything uh, from home, and then they all came back Solana maxis, and then they took me to uh, Breakpoint, which was my first Solana conference. Uh, I'll I gave it to them like um, it certainly made it certainly changed my mind in terms of the ecosystem and the community as well. I didn't realize the. Uh, um, Maxi is always a bad term, but it's relevant for this. You know, it's uh, passion is, you know, the better word for it. Uh, the passion behind the gaming community in Solana in particular is certainly uh, there. And, um, you know, it's very, very hard to change that. And I don't think any individual bad actor um, can do that. You know, you can't. The whole point of blockchain technology is to get rid of those human faults. Uh, and that's, you know, if... If a human can uh, have that negative impact, then um, you know it, it's not blockchain. So I think that uh, there's certainly yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement on that as much as my uh, as it pains me to say because my team are definitely going to be uh, watching this, saying 
making me bullish on uh, on Solana. But yeah, I think I was a uh, I was I was super early to buy Solana. I got in a I bought Solana for the first time at seven dollars, and it looks like I'll get the chance to buy it <laughs> back at that price as well. Um, I, I, yeah, I sold at two forty. Amazing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, before we uh, talk about my. Uh, on escapades um what is the i mean i've seen the the video that you presented and it made me uh, extremely bullish um but apart from the uh, immediate demo and sort of the videos online um any uh, any short-term roadmap based alpha for i mean let's just talk about 2023 because it is an extended roadmap but we have a, a couple of very exciting releases uh, coming up this year so um, what was described in that uh, roadmap during the keynote presentation was the, you know, the eight-year plan, the eight-year strategy, and what we announced was this concept of seasonal releases, starting with preseason. I'm referring to our Unreal Engine client right now. Um, each one of these seasons will roll out new gameplay mechanics, uh, as, as I said, and uh, kind of enhance the player experience and also uh, various career specializations. So if you're a fighter versus a racer versus a freighter versus a mining ship, you know, all of these will roll out in these new seasons with the that content unlocked. Um, Currently, we're operating in this pre-season concept, which is a showroom environment. Uh, the purpose there was, uh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry about the can't control the fire alarms. But uh, um, <clears throat> the purpose there really was for us to develop out, refine our uh, content um, uh, production pipelines. So kind of all of the base layer foundational technology uh, that allows us to develop this full vision of Star Atlas in time and this is it's comprehensive and quite literally every pixel that you're viewing within star atlas is something that was custom designed custom fabricated by us um so um the showroom enables players to enter the environment view their assets that was step one step two was intro uh, introducing some of the uh, flight mechanics so we have one ship that's enabled actually several ships right now that are enabled but one ship that is able to participate in these two time trial race courses we have global leaderboards have seen a ton of content actually out there from people that are streaming themselves uh, um, participating in these races and then there's also this dogfighting uh, arena out in space and you're able to compete against ai all of this is really with the purpose of again unlocking the the feature set but giving people an opportunity to test out their skills refine their skills learn the key configs um and await what's what's to come but uh we do have two minor releases so 2.1 and 2.2 coming that will enhance the multiplayer experience we'll see the addition of things like the star atlas marketplace um in game uh uh, uh, ground racing vehicles and um, dedicated instances hosted by us. Right now, we do have multiplayer enabled, although it's uh, admittedly pretty buggy. We knew that rolling it out, but we wanted to enable the feature anyway. And um, all of the uh, instances are hosted peer-to-peer, -peer, so it's some other player that is essentially spinning up an instance, and then you're connecting directly to them. But uh, what we're working through right now is the multiple concurrent user server hosting and um, hosting our own dedicated instances that other players can connect to. So those are some of the kind of key immediate features that are coming out in the next couple of months. Um, you know, we, we talked uh, actually just at Breakpoint about the uh, R3 and R4 release, which would see this continuous expansion of the showroom through time. Um, 
and I guess I'm I'm not quite ready to officially announce any uh, pivot to that strategy. But mm. uh, through the beginning of the year, we've been uh, we've been discussing heavily what we think could actually be a more enjoyable, replayable, and repeatable experience for players. So I, I'm trying to think, you know, what I'd be comfortable with sharing here. But I, I guess think more in terms of uh, PvP arena uh, and instances. Um, as opposed to continuous expansion of the of the showroom, so that's kind of the near term. And then I'll just mention in 2024, our objective and roadmap uh, release is still very much um, projected for um, the release of combat racing. So the ability to compete in these races, kind of a uh, pod racing meets Mario Kart, except hyper realistic and in, in an Unreal Engine. So uh, that's on the UE side. Uh, we have a mobile mobile release that we're anticipating um, sometime in the first half of this year as well. And then on the possibly one of the more um, anticipated releases is our browser-based game. So top-down, real-time strategy, isometric view, uh, territory control game. And it's all three factions competing for uh, claiming territory in a single instance, PvP and PvE arena. Um, we're building this in Play Canvas, and all of the assets are 3D using WebGL. Uh, very uh, beautiful game design and beautiful assets. Um, and the initial release of this is going to unlock the ability to go uh, mine resources, refine those resources, contribute those to the construction of star bases. Um, this will open up warp lanes to new territories. And really, the the basic concept is that all three factions um, uh, in a persistent uh, environment will be competing to gain control of as much territory as possible, all three factions competing with one another. But what's really cool about the, the browser-based game is this also becomes our test bed for uh, many of the on-chain mechanics that I was referring to. So in our case, for example, there's uh, six programs that we currently have slated for release. Uh, that includes things like your player profile and your character progression. That is stored as on-chain data. Um, the inventory management system, the resource extraction system, all of the crafting and refining, uh, as well as the combat systems and movement around the map. So all of those are actually on-chain um, programs that are um, operating or enabling the, the player to operate within the environment. Um, and the, I guess, primary benefit here is that this is where we're really going to unlock the next stage of the Star Atlas economy as well. So transitioning from that faction fleet program that we have online right now, more into Sage and rewarding players based on uh, skill and time spent in game. Are you going to have any more... Um... Uh, acronyms. I think I can't remember what the one was that you had. It was something to do with gold, I think, um, that you presented at the. Uh, it was like five. It was like a five-letter acronym, but I can't. I can't remember it. So, so maybe it didn't work like you thought it would. Sage. Uh, Sage is the is the browser-based game. It's Star Atlas Golden Era. Uh, there will there be many more acronyms to come from us. I'm sure. <laughs> Fair enough. I think uh, I see someone uh, was asking, uh, where do you see it in five years? Maybe a mobile version. It's coming this year. Five years? Pfft, nothing. There we go. But longer term, I mean, you did mention at the beginning when I was saying about, uh, you mentioned going all the way to 2029. I mean, what does that far depths of space look like? Well, um, I mean, so hard to say five years out, but uh, certainly by that point, we'll have uh, key environments. So the central space stations are um, 
kind of a, an extension of the environments that we're building. And I think of these central space stations as being more of the social hubs. Um, this is your, you know, your, your town hall in, uh, in most MMOs or your home, home city uh, in most MMOs. And I'm trying to think through, you know, when specifically we'll get those into the development pipeline. Uh, we're expecting two to three years probably to have those environments online. It uh, depends on how we reprioritize the other experiences that we're developing and releasing. But um, for me, I'm, I'm motivated to release those because they unlock a lot of uh, potential outside of gameplay. Again, the social experiences, the ability to hang out uh, with other players, but also the commercial applications and brand integrations, advertising opportunities. Um, you can kind of think of this as a very high quality sandbox, for example. And we've seen the success that Sandbox has had in um, bringing in traditional businesses into their virtual world. Um, so, um, so that's kind of on the horizon, but of course, you know, unlocking the other space exploration components are, are a big part of this. Expanding outside of these smaller instances and dedicated experiences like I was referring to with the PVP arena and moving into true free flight, true space exploration, unlocking a lot of the uh, career paths um, like Data Runner or um, uh, the Bounty Hunter ships, um, these different careers that players will want to engage in. So, um, and then I'd say, you know, naturally having the mission completion as a part of this as well. So you know, go to a mission giver, uh, they instruct you to go to some distant planet or some distant area in space, complete a task and return and get rewarded, get rewarded with your XP, get rewarded with your, your player growth and skill tree progression. And then of course, having the, um, uh, the economy activated there as well. You mentioned um, in regards to brands, are you working with like, um, not necessarily uh, Oculus in particular, but you're working with any like VR integrations or um, anybody like that? Is that a long-term plan? I guess that'd be more than, um... I remember my first VR game, I had one of those where like you stick your phone into like the goggles and then put it on. Um, I don't know what that was, but uh, yeah, you're working on anything, whether it is like a mobile or, or browser-based? The the mobile concept is initially, um, it, it is a companion app. It's complementary to the activity that um, you'll engage in in Star Atlas. It's not a replication of all of the same gameplay mechanics. It is a dedicated mechanic. Again, not really uh, prepared to reveal anything on it just yet, as we're still, um, still in the development process there. But... Uh, Presently, it is a, uh, a complementary app, but we do see potential to expand uh, Sage, the browser-based gameplay, to mobile, to tablet, um, and then continuously enhance on the on the mobile side. You mentioned VR. Um, we <laughs> uh, it wasn't really in the immediate roadmap, but one of our gameplay engineers has been experimenting with it. We actually have some content that's coming out this weekend uh, that we'll be sharing of the VR experience. You know, caveat emptor, this is purely experimental, and it's just it was something that uh, this this uh, gameplay engineer Brad Warren was um, really interested in himself, and so kind of on his own time, he's been. Uh, and playing around with that in uh, in our in our Unreal Engine environment. That's what we like to hear. Give Alpha. Yeah, that's what we want. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, 
I'm getting much more um, excited about, as well as uh, VR, also AI. And I think the uh, chat GPT has really um, helped sort of uh, make it more mainstream. I think I mentioned this on a, on a previous show maybe, but um, when I was, you know, typing in random stuff to that, just uh, literally anything, I, I, I actually got stuck of, uh, it's like one of those things, as soon as, uh, as soon as you have like a whole, you can ask anything. And as soon as you can ask anything, you have no idea what to ask. Um, so I was just talking, I, I wrote like, um, write a action movie script starring Liam Neeson with a tagline. Um, and it just like wrote it all out. And I thought, Jesus. Um, and that got me really interested in automating as much of like uh, our business um, and uh, them. Um, do, you, uh, do you like the rebranding? Which We made it very, uh, very uh, spacey, I guess. Uh, we changed it up. Um, I love it. Yeah. But yeah, it's. Uh, I want to try and automate as much as possible and whether that is for example like uh you know ongoing revenue streams through arbitrage because yeah vemp is like uh we got vemp studios uh which is uh, the name of the token now um and then that comes on like vemp ventures uh, from our staking pools um and then we've also got like vemp trading because my background was as a derivative trader and so i want to try and like uh automate like an underlying um Passive, like a uh, constantly flowing stream where and try and automate as many tasks as possible because I think there's such an opportunity to take human emotion out of as many decisions as possible. Some people seem to be very afraid of that, um, but I certainly think it is a very, very good thing because, like, humans are like, we can be awful. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of tasks that we just fixate on or we put off, um, which can uh, be automated. So this, this chat GPT thing just got me literally thinking of all of the uh, different possibilities. Uh, and in turn, it's a very um, like dystopian. Uh, I went to see, tell you what, this complete curveball here, and you, you'll probably have no idea what I'm talking about. I don't know if they, they have it in the States, right? But I went to this concert called Abba Voyage, my mum invited me before, uh, before anyone in the comments says, why well, are you going to um, uh, ABBA, the union? It wasn't a reunion. It wasn't a, like, um, uh, parody band either. Um, it was an Unreal Engine uh, hologram performance. Uh, and the, the hologram was, like, a bit dodgy, probably because I was in, like, the corner, so they I could, like, see the two-dimensional aspect. It was probably a lot better facing on, but... On the screen, they had the full, like, uh, Unreal Engine graphics. And I thought, Christ, it's literally like, I guess when they were moving, uh, you could tell. But the quality that you are able to produce now, it's like some of those videos going around, like deep fake uh, Donald Trump or deep fake um, uh, Morgan Freeman, I saw as well. Mm -hmm. It made me think, like, Jesus. Things are going way too quickly. <laughs> Slow down, because like you could literally put anything onto uh, to anyone now, um, especially Unreal Engine. That is insane. Yeah, there's there's some technology that I'm uh, 
I'd say incredibly optimistic about. So AR, VR, which we touched on a little bit, uh, you know, kind of XR, categorically extended reality, uh, is one of those. Um, I'm also super excited about haptic feedback. Uh, so, so this is physical sensory feedback devices. Um, so for example, you can be playing a video game and you could have a vest on and you could maybe feel a shock or a vibration if you were to get shot in a first person shooter, something like that. Um, but this makes the gameplay experience that much more tactile, that much more immersive, you know, genuinely feeling like you're there. Um, personally, I love racing sims as well. So, you know, leveraging some combination of this technology with uh, with motion simulation as well. I don't know how approachable or accessible this will be to mainstream in the near term, but I think this is, you know, we're, we're seeing progression in all of this. Um, you touched on the AI side and it's, it's uh, probably fairly well known. AI is integrated quite heavily into gaming experiences, particularly when you're interacting with non-playable characters and PCs within the game um, where there's, I'd say at least two um, paths to this that are really compelling to me. One is uh, enabling human-like interaction with these NPCs. So not going through and selecting from a menu of options to respond uh, to an NPC, but actually being able to hold a conversation uh, with, with one of these non-playable characters, these AI-driven characters in-game. Um, but the other component of this is, um, that's kind of particularly during gameplay, but the other component of this and again, I you know I don't I don't necessarily want to go full dystopian future here, and I don't know to what extent we get disconnected completely from reality, but um, the idea of a digital companion uh, in in the metaverse in game uh, this is this can serve to some extent as a digital assistant to you, but almost as though a an individual is having a relationship with the machine, but it gets to know you quite well. And when you think about um, AGI, artificial general intelligence, and the progression that we're seeing there through, you know, programs like ChatGPT. Um, I, I genuinely believe that people are going to start to form some level of relationship with their digital counterpart. Uh, and I would reference the movie. I think it was Her was the movie where this guy like falls in love with the operating system on his computer. This was I don't 15 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, something like that. But um, I, I could just see us progressing to the state where people are having meaningful interactions and relationships with uh, with this digital uh, AI. I'm trust me, dystopian. Get as dystopian as you like. I absolutely love it. There's no uh, there's no shortage of like uh, conspiracy and uh, uh, also um, imaginations of, of the future. I love a good uh, a good rant. Usually, it turns into anyway. Um, but I 100% agree. I think that the there is so much that, like, uh, including in the metaverse. I mean, people don't uh, uh, don't talk about it, like it a lot, but as in, like, humans again. Like I was saying about how uh, sort of don't uh, like automate as many tasks as possible. Like humans are just like proper degens, um, just very Freudian uh, in their nature. Um, you know, seeking dopamine, just seeking like any sort of stimulation, uh, and that's going to produce some very strange, weird stuff when <laughs> when people can do whatever they want in virtual reality build whatever they want and just it's going to be very very odd 
in the future, I think, if, if there's like public metaverses where anyone can go anywhere and do anything. Um, because, yeah, people are strange. And people's idea of their building their own reality, because essentially this is, you know, where it's going to end up. God, imagine like just walking into someone's random, like, idea of heaven or hell. Like, it could be very odd. Um, but I can certainly, like, uh, see, I mean, if you have a how are human relationships um, built? I mean, yeah, there's a certain aspect of like arguable about like biological pheromones, let's say. Um, but I mean, you know, I've met most of my employees twice, some of them once um, and only for the first time in December. Uh, and some of them I've been working with for ages. So it can't be all pheromones because we, uh, we don't smell each other through the screen yet. I'm sure that will come as well, but hopefully not. Um, so there's a definitely something to be said and anyone who argues against that, I mean, is just, uh, misinformed or, or just naive in my opinion. So yeah, um, a hundred percent, uh, believe it. There you go. See, it's uh, SS four verse. See, uh, definitely read through the, uh, through the lines there. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's probably going to happen, but, um, I mean, uh, what was it? Uh, Second Life, you know, that it had digital strip clubs and Second Life came out in 2006. And it's like one of the first things that people <laughs> um, invent upon, right? Sex sells. And, um, you know, like porn was one of the first applications of the internet and helped rise the popularity of the internet. And itself. So, so, yeah. Um, the other thing that you did touch on, though, was, uh, you know, this dopamine response. Uh, and just thinking again about future technology, uh, the idea of brain-connected interfaces, BCIs. And um, so like uh, Elon Musk is doing this with Neuralink, right, with the intention of providing mobility to people that may have had uh, traumatic experience, lost um, um, control of limbs, paralyzed. Um, can also potentially restore vision fully, even restore vision for people that were born blind. I mean, this is pretty incredible, but I also watched an interview with Gabe Newell, um, who was the you know, creator or founder of Valve, and you know, this was like Half-Life and, uh, and Steam. And he was talking about the potential for using a mobile application to quite literally control your mental state, your mental health, your, um, uh, your emotional state. So if you're feeling depressed using your mobile phone, and cranking up a dial and releasing more serotonin or, you know, exactly. <laughs> just like being able to literally crank up your happiness level and control on the electrochemical level, your state of being. Um, and I think all of these things intersect at some point, you know, um, you're using the haptic feedback, maybe you're in VR, you're in a metaverse, you have the dial turned on with BCI. And, you know, again, I think this all, all also kind of leads to, cybernetics uh neuralink itself is a form of cybernetic so pretty wild stuff on the horizon i think it's going to arrive sooner than we all think it will especially with the improvements that we've seen in ai and um, the uh, mm -hmm. innovation creativity that we're going to see as a result of uh, augmented or excuse me uh, artificial intelligence tell you what it's going to be uh, uh certainly very it's going to be like a comic book because I bet you anything there's going to be someone like Elon Musk who like sticks like half his brain and makes it like half robot, half man, and then goes on like some sort of like 
take over the world rampage, just super intelligent, like cybernetic beings, just destroying everything in their path. Uh, I can because inevitably, like most new technologies, uh, most of them end up used first by some sort of military application mm-hmm. um, or like a spy or like surveillance. So mm-hmm. inevitably, they'll end up with uh, military or rich. Um, that's the order of technology uh, landing, which uh, usually uh, both of them correlate. Uh, so there's definitely going to be some weird stuff. Just looking out the window and just some robot bloke is just beating up another, flying around like a, like a movie Hancock, I'm imagining, where they're just beating each other up in the middle of the street and just crashing into like skyscrapers. Um, anyone uh, watching, please do uh, put some uh, questions in the comments. I can see a few already, but just uh, just a reminder whilst we're here. Um, I'm not sure if uh, if I've sort of... Is there anything that we haven't uh, touched on? Um, well, any any more alpha that can be given? Or um, anything maybe in, uh, in regards to like gaming in, in general, as I said, with our rebrand, we are very much trying to uh, no longer bring... Well, I think one of the main problems which we mentioned about you know all of the hype came into gaming and metaverse but all of the players that like short term came in were coming in because they either wanted to earn free money or they weren't gamers they were crypto natives playing games to see what the protocol was about and then they sort of left a big chasm and then we saw an inevitable drop so i guess what can crypto do to get that mass adoption um and where do you see the future outside of you know uh, metaverse but more gaming specific well so i touched on this a little bit um you know when discussing the controversy around play to earn but uh i i also broadly categorize player cohorts across three different groups you know and um, you touched on one of those this is where we saw some more immediate adoption that's in the 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 crypto trader the crypto native or the speculator people who understand how to operate with this technology already have a web wallet installed or already using metamask or already using phantom or you know understand hardware wallets generally understand the tech and they they um, see uh, financial opportunity in participating in the technology um, so that is that's one group that uh, has been a participant across all Web3 games. Star Atlas um, is, uh, is, has also benefited from that user group. Um, there is the, the other group that I would say is predominantly also financially motivated. Uh, this is the, uh, the sector that is um, like interested in play to earn, the ability to extract value, extract, extract capital out of uh, these gaming experiences. Uh, by and large, I think that this group largely comes from emerging markets or developing countries. Um, Axie Infinity being a great example of this, by the way, uh, you know, with the adoption that they experienced in the Philippines, really led up by uh, Gabby with Yield Guild Games and um, it, people that were legitimately able to earn a higher income and create a, a higher standard of living for themselves by participating in Axie versus working a job locally. So they they had digital um, work available to them. And it, ultimately, it wasn't sustainable under the, the, um, the pre-existing model that Axie had rolled out at the time. Um, 
But that opportunity still very much exists. In terms of how do we get to mass adoption, it's one catering to that group because we're talking about billions of people from around the world that could be potentially interested in operating in a gaming experience like Star Atlas. But that needs to be offset by um, the a consumer group as well. And I actually categorize the consumer group as more of the traditional gamer. Now, these are individuals that are most interested in the experience itself. Is it engaging? Do I want to spend time doing this? Am I having a good time? Am I getting that dopamine release that you referred to? Um, that's very important for them. Uh, their digital identity, uh, they, they uh, kind of immerse themselves in the, their digital identity as well in the games that they're playing. Um, but I say they're more of the consumer group because I, I think largely this, you know, particularly in the AAA space, um, these individuals will be willing to spend money uh, for a better experience. That might be because it's more entertaining or because there's some convenience that's afforded to them by spending money. And so, or because they get something that's novel and unique, um, you know, skin packs or, or um, uh, uh, like um, the seasonal content, for example, they might be interested in actually purchasing. Now, to the extent that we're able to curate an economy that balances the people that are mostly interested in extracting value uh, with the people that are willing to con um, uh, consume and uh, contribute value, then we can actually uh, uh, realize this idea of a sustainable um, uh, economy across Star Atlas. And what that implies is that, you know, the whole idea of an emission curve, of an inflation curve, of distributing digital currency as a way of compensating people for the game, well, that cannot be the isolated method of rewarding people. Um, but it's very feasible that somebody that has a, in our case, a large uh, fleet of ships, for example, they can't perform all of the functions that they need to to maximize the potential income off of that fleet. But what they can do is actually employ someone else to uh, operate a fleet for them or operate a mining operation, or maybe they just don't want to be the one that's uh, sitting in the starbase doing all of the refining and crafting of their materials. And so they're willing to actually share in the income potential. And this is exactly how businesses operate, right? No, no, virtually no company can operate. Large scale organization can operate with a single individual. You need massive teams of people. And so um, you, you have capital providers that are purchasing the assets and engaged in gameplay and paying other people uh, to assist them with their operation. And, and in that dynamic, it's, it's less about are we distributing Atlas? And is that the way that people are making money? And can that be botted? Can that be automated? And it's more about um, the exchange of value player to player. And that's, again, where we've reached this equilibrium of economic stability. Fair enough. You might have just heard, for, seems to be, I heard like a fence go down. There seems, <laughs> seems to be some sort of, still, suddenly see, typical, it's gone into a, a storm where I am. So if my uh, if I cut out it for any reason, it means that a tree is taken down my internet or something like that. Um, see, fire alarm storms were cursed. Um, I was wondering, right, so uh, in regards to, like, economies, I mean, uh, it's a two-part question, I guess, decentralization and uh, economies, because one of the main reasons behind Axie's downfall was its economy, and the reason its economy was so inflationary was due to its popularity. Is there a way, I mean, maybe there's a level for example that like you know let's let's say clash of clans they've maintained a certain level of popularity where 
really demand for like let's say uh, gems or whatever they sell i haven't played for ages but um is there a level where you can step away from tampering with the economy or you know is it are you ever able to have a truly decentralized game because surely you cannot just have a constant um economy i guess the players could vote for it but i guess yeah what's your thoughts on that because you know the more people play if there is that aspect then the more emissions come out and you could end up with popularity becoming the downfall so be interested to know your thoughts well, I guess uh, as a point of clarification, we don't necessarily think of um, exponential emissions as a result of user growth. Uh, it's it's a confined pool of resources that will be distributed uh, over a fixed period of time. And so it's more people competing for the same uh, finite pool of resources, which means, you know, your, uh, if you're sole motivation is how much can I extract from the game? Uh, the more people that come in, the more competitive it becomes and the less that an individual is able to earn on a nominal basis on whatever you know that specific um, unit of currency is in our case, Atlas. But again, that's just from the rewards emission pool. It's also possible for them to identify an opportunity to provide some service to some other player who again is willing to actually pay for them to perform that service pay somebody to sit in the space station and refine resources for you. Because, uh, it, you know, if you're a, a, a savvy operator, you understand where your margins are. You're probably analyzing uh, what market, like commodity markets in game look like. And so you're able to produce resources, leveraging this labor source and actually generate net income for yourself. Not, not everybody, you know, wants to operate a game as if they're operating a business. Again, a lot of people just want to come in and have fun. And that's the core of our experience is first and foremost, building that entertain, uh, entertainment product that people just want to come in and engage and play. And maybe they don't care if they make anything and they're happy to spend $10 a month or $20 a month. But again, that's the offset is do you have a consumer group that's willing to spend capital to engage in an entertainment experience? Um, and to the extent that you're able to successfully do that, then you have a mechanism for transferring value between the extractors and the, and the consumers. What's unique about uh, at least our case, and I think probably the, the evolution of Web3 Gaming, is that um, we're not sitting in the middle saying uh, all of this money that a player is willing to pay for convenience goes directly to us as a studio. It is actually transferred directly peer to peer. Now, what we've introduced is a mechanism for capturing some of that value through a system of taxation. This is essential for us to continue to grow, to, to continue to develop. Like as a studio, obviously we have to make money and spend money to be able to produce the, the end product. But um, crazy how little people understand that in crypto. <laughs> As is as a crypto community, uh, just uh, one of my common complaints is that uh, yeah, crypto, un unlike any other business or like you know even finance or stock, like crypto is the only one where like you you have to do it for free. Um, but that yeah, I, it's this pendulum um, uh, swing, right? Like one extreme to another. You have you have uh, traditional world with middlemen uh, and people extracting value from you left and right and then there's this philosophy of of crypto and people think that um you know everything should be eliminate all of the the middlemen and eliminate you can't eliminate the creators without also identifying a method of compensating that 
person or that organization to be able to produce the thing that you that you want right so it's like finding a balance and striking a balance between all of that and not being overly extractive of the user base as well or the player base in the case of games um but you had referenced clash of clans and you know this this is uh, kind of a classic example of um the uh of a closed economy and of monetary value transferring directly to a single entity there I, I i don't specifically know how clash of clans works but i assume that you're not able to buy gems and then turn around and sell them to another player right or you're not able to go out and harvest gems and sell those to another player whereas we fully activate that type of peer-to-peer -peer transaction capability and so if you're in clash of clans free to play from my understanding if uh if you want to expedite some process then you can pay real money to the uh, producer of that game in order for uh, in order for you to have a more enjoyable experience, right? You can do either more things or you can do certain things faster. You can be a little more competitive, and that is the that's the the free to play model. That's how it work. That's how it works in general. You can get in and have some fun, but for the people that are really addicted to it and want to have maybe more fun, they inject their own money into it. And so again, I'm just drawing distinction. I believe people will do that in Star Atlas as well, but the money that they inject into that economy doesn't necessarily go to Automata. It goes to whomever they're paying for the convenience service that is being provided. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely um, sad that I'm way more interested in like the economy and finance part of games than I am of thinking. I'm always thinking about the uh, um, like the description of you had of like uh, you know effectively almost being. Uh, layer one in the fact that uh, I like to think of everything in the way of how can it be infrastructure mm -hmm. for people to build on top of it. Because I think that that is the one thing that um, separates uh, protocols uh, or companies or, or anything um, is how can people innovate on or around it. Mm -hmm. That's what defines like such a key business when people it's like curve as a protocol curve spawned convex yearn pickle finance all of those are like derivatives that built on top of um on top of curve uh, and gaming can be the same uh, and we saw it somewhat with axiom ygg uh, that was like the first iteration in my in my eyes um and then more guilds came up like uh, merit circle and uh good guild Good guild games. I always get confused uh, with GGG. Anyway, um, so that's sort of the gaming evolution in my eyes, and obviously it's you know had a bit of a sputtering, uh, sputtering is that even a word start, but it's certainly happening. But I certainly agree that uh, that's the part that I am constantly thinking about is the way that people can uh, extract and pass on value. And I mean, I love working out problems um, or uh, taking advantage of like opportunities by seeing, um, for example, let's say that, uh, you know, you're mining a certain material uh, and you got one up on someone somehow that you knew exactly where there was like a source and therefore you use that to your advantage within the game and managed to pass that value on, which is mm -hmm. something you can't do, as you mentioned in like, let's say gems of Clash of Clans, there's no gem mine. The gem mine is the entity behind Clash of Clans selling the gems. But if I could mine those gems somewhere and I could sell them as a player onto other players, then that opens up that level of infrastructure where you can 
you know, build businesses on, around businesses, protocols around protocols. So that's certainly uh, certainly what I'm looking forward to. We've had uh, one question, which is um, uh, just related to uh, Sage's uh, release. Um, obviously, market's been uh, up and down. Um, and uh, I always tell my community and uh, also my team, however much you think something's going to cost and however long you think it's going to be completed in, double it. And that's your uh, that's the realistic timeline. Um, but even then, um, when roadmap or when when? Um, but we are getting a question here on Sage. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I we've taken a step back from providing any definitive dates on releases. It's uh, <laughs> it, it just hasn't panned out well in the past. We have our expectations, we have our target dates, we have our internal objectives on um, releases, and if we if we miss those, it benefits us. Um, it, it does not benefit us at all to pre-announce a date. So um, I, I guess my comment on Sage is we're still looking at, uh, I'm going to be vague here, but we're still looking at Q1. Um, one of the uh, internal ideological changes that I'm kind of working through with the rest of our leadership and management teams is um, understanding how we can release uh, more iteratively and yet also have uh, still fun playable experiences. Um, you know, the reality of what is effectively a crowdfunding of a product like we've done with Star Atlas, not taking outside capital and uh, releasing assets into the world and generating revenue and building a team and then building the product as a result of that is that there's there's immediate accountability and immediate demand for the thing that we've outlined for people for this vision. Right. And I think we've done a good job and we've, we've tried to proactively communicate that this is a long term vision. This is very complicated stuff. It's all bleeding edge technology. There is no playbook for how we build what we build. We are laying the foundation today for the way that people will build products like ours in the future. And we're building a lot of the infrastructure along the way. Um, but uh, with that being said, you know, we've. The struggle is in trying to identify how comprehensive does the product need to be to actually be fun um, and be sticky, have retention for users. And so I'm saying all of that uh, only to outline that we're really analyzing right now, how can we further fragment feature releases so that we can have the fun experiences, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take six months or a year because it has eight features, but it actually has a single feature that we can gamify that's still fun that keeps people active in the game. And then we can continuously build upon that, which is, has been our approach since inception. But uh, the point is smaller building blocks that, are, that, um, that still captivate interest as opposed to a bigger block. <laughs> Dominic, I see Dominic out there talking about when, but, um, and then in, I saw a second question there about uh, governance proposals. So we, we have a number of different um, squads or teams internally. We have a team that's fully dedicated to uh, um, the DAO interface. And, you know, over last year, uh, the two big product releases there uh, entailed really the platform itself. Um, so kind of the, core UI and and um, uh, and platform. But on top of that, we rolled out the Atlas Locker and the Polis Locker. Um, and so going into this year, our priority on the DAO side is rolling out the core governance functionality. So this includes you know, um, uh, the proposal system, the voting system, and then uh, some method of discourse. So a forum where people could have conversations about you know, what they'd like to see enacted. Uh, 
So that's our number one priority within the DAO team is getting that, uh, getting the governance functionality online activated, rolled out, and enabling people to leverage their polis locker, their polis voting power, PVP, um, in this in this governance system. But that in and of itself is also incredibly complex. The idea of decentralized governance is um, extremely experimental. We're at the very front end of all of this. So we mm. do want to be very, very careful with uh, with how we effectuate the rollout of, of decentralized governance across Star Atlas, because it's one of the areas that I think could be truly catastrophic to the long-term potential if we get it wrong. Uh, so baby steps here is what's important. Yeah, I mean, uh, DAOs uh, and... Uh... DAOs and infighting, <laughs> or like all politics, <laughs> like honestly, um, it's uh, yeah, people love to uh, like tear themselves apart from the um, from the inside. Dispute resolution is something that's very very hard to get right within uh, within any sort of um, DAO or any well any organization. Uh, I would say, like honestly, um, stuff can go on so long, um, but yeah, that's all part of a. Uh, all part of the innovation and the, the fun we have at the forefront of the technology. But uh, there we are. Uh, we've got uh, one last question here on um, Sage and whether uh, there will be a mobile version to come. Yeah, we are we are looking at mobile optimizing Sage. But, I mean, first and foremost is getting out the the uh, browser-based version of this. So, we're, you know, we, we, we still haven't rolled out the initial feature on that. But, um, uh, yeah, looking at... Sage support. Now, I think, I think a mobile version of Sage is entirely feasible. I think a a better user experience though would live on like a tablet, which is you know just a smaller version of your desktop anyway. Um, but that's not to say that we won't look to optimize for Sage. And um, not that this is alpha in any way, and and not really directly related to Sage. But one of the other things that we're heavily focused on this year. Uh, consists of how do we improve the user journey um, and that's really twofold it's it's having multiple free-to-play uh, entry points into star atlas of course those are probably not associated with any type of real genuine economic incentives or substantially decreased from what those uh, paying players are exposed to um, but ensuring that we can uh, provide a, 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 an inroad for people who just want to sample the game and that that consists of our sage experience as well as uh in unreal engine again giving people these like tastes of what star atlas can be and if they're interested they continue to engage then they're likely to be more committed um uh, buying assets or participating on a deeper level um so that's you know the free to play is uh is is one side of this Totally lost my train of thought there, though, on the second one. So I'm going to have to leave you guys hanging on that one. <laughs> oh, that's all right. They can uh, always uh, jump into the socials. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, like I, I mentioned in the uh, intro, seeing everything that you guys have got and hearing it again now, certainly uh, bullish. But uh, you guys had a seem to have had a good push up, literally, like, uh, funny enough, a couple of weeks after the uh, demo and the presentation at um, – Lisbon, when the rest of the market was uh, not looking too good. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I uh, definitely um, missed a buy a bit earlier. But hopefully, uh, well, actually, hopefully not. I was going to hopefully the market gives us an, another dip, but we've had enough. <laughs> we've had enough. Um, you know, thanks uh, so much for coming on. Um,
definitely good to hear uh, about everything going on Star Atlas and your views on uh, gaming in the metaverse and a few conspiracies and dystopian bits uh, chucked in. Um, but yeah, to uh, to the audience and everyone watching, any questions do jump into uh, Star Atlas's uh, Discord, uh, go onto their website and you can uh, jump into any of their socials there. Um, is there any parting parting words from yourself? Oh, I wish I had something inspirational to say here. I, I, I you know, the, what I will say is I, I'm still incredibly optimistic about the future. I, I've, you know, I've mentioned this before, but I've been in the space for a long time, and I've seen the the cyclical nature of crypto and the hype cycles, and then the the hate cycles uh, where all of the infighting is going on, and every everyone throwing accusations at one another. Um, criticizing one another and i'm looking forward to getting into a, a more uh, favorable environment as we go through this year and you know go into 2024 but um regardless of all of that i am just very very optimistic about the potential of um gaming to be a major uh, driver of adoption of crypto of user growth of new interest in in blockchain and crypto going into the future it is a it's 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 almost the fourth generation now in my mind of uh, of where we're at in the crypto technological age. Uh, and I think DeFi was a great use case, great example of how you could bring new people in and attract them. But we're finally emerging beyond the point where every single aspect of crypto is about trading, it's about finance, it's about making money. And we're moving into these are genuine applications that people want to interact with. And I think it's a very Thank exciting you. time to be in blockchain. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, fingers crossed we uh, we get past the uh, pure speculative era the, of <laughs> or the pure yield farm uh, era, which still counts as speculative. It's just a, it's just a more clever way to be speculative, in my opinion. Um, yeah. There we go. But yeah, thanks, uh, thanks so much for uh, joining um, and to the audience as well. Uh, and we'll see you uh, next Wednesday. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, man. Thanks so much, man.